When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. Talk to any new parent and ask them what the hardest part of parenting is and they'll tell you it's the lack of sleep. Because you go through labour, very little sleep, to feeding your newborn baby at least every three hours and that's if you're lucky. And in between you're just not getting very much sleep. And we all know how important sleep is for us and those of you with young children know how wretched you feel when you haven't had enough of it. And this is what my guest today is helping me with. Hattie Weeks has spent her 23-year career supporting new parents in those bewildering days when your baby has just arrived and you're trying to work out how to put one foot in front of the other. Hattie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me in. Um, So you have this long, illustrious career in sort of looking after babies and teaching parents um, how to understand their babies and how to get them to sleep. You're not a a mother yourself, but you're an aunt. Is that that how it all started? I am. I am a very proud aunt to triplets. Goodness gracious Mm. me. (laughs) (laughs) So um, was it your sister? My younger brother. Your younger brother had had triplets. So that really is a baptism of fire. It is, yes. They went for their first scan and um, the radar came came up with three which is a bit of a shock to the family but a very happy shock yes. and were you working in sort of childcare before then no I knew absolutely nothing about babies when they arrived none of us did so we did quite literally hit the ground running yes it was terrifying terrifying but great fun um, and so after that you thought actually this is something I quite I like loved doing it. I loved it and it was a game changer for me yeah so we talked about sort of sleep and um you know, what, what you like to achieve with your, uh, in terms of, you know, helping new parents. And you told me that it's basically about establishing good sleep habits. What, what mm. do you mean by that? What are good sleep habits? Um, habits that you can take forward. So rather than um, sort of resorting to the baby always sleeping in your arms or in your lap or on your husband's shoulder or being driven around in the car or wheeled up and down the road in a buggy to get it to sleep, um, that will work in the short term and it's a quick fix, but it's not a long-term solution and isn't always hugely healthy for the baby. Because I think as many of you out there with babies know that the baby would sleep happily on your shoulder forever, but the minute you go to put them down in their bed, they wake up. So they're not in a really super deep sleep. So I'm a great believer in just trying to implement good sleep habits that you never really have to change. So teaching them to go down on their own, in their own bed, and going to sleep in their own way. 
And actually, those are habits that, you know, you if you can establish them with, with babies, that's something, you know, that you can take with you the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, sleep, a good sleeper, if you can sleep well, get sleep easily mm. and sleep well, you know, we all, we know actually it really impacts life in the long term yeah. and, and, you know, all sorts of illnesses and longevity of life. So it's probably mm. worth getting for yourself, for your sake as well as your yeah, baby. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, do you believe there's such thing as a good sleeper or do you think it's just the, the formation of these sleep habits? Um, I do believe that it is, it is all down to putting the work in at the beginning. Um, having done in over four and a half thousand babies now, I do know that the majority of my little ones are, they go on to be good sleepers for the rest of their baby lives. And they, that knocks right on into toddlerhood because I do stay in touch with a lot of my mums. So I do see that overall they are pretty well off if they start off well. Yeah, great. So, um, how do you go about doing this? How what would you what would your tips be in terms of establishing kind of healthy sleeping patterns and good sleep habits? Um, as far as possible, just try and educate yourselves about baby's body language. So, you know, learning to read a baby and what they're trying to tell you will get you probably two thirds of the way towards getting them to settle well on their own so yeah because that's always a real trouble I think if babies came out being able to communicate being a mother would be so much easier wouldn't it yeah 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 and I think they the way that babies react when they are overstimulated or overtired or overhandled often will trigger in the mum oh maybe he's still hungry maybe he's got wind because they just they always look as though they're in distress so really trying to sort of learn to communicate with them listen to their cues look at their cues and act on them rather than just assuming everything is wrong with the baby that it may be you look at it and think well I know that you've been awake for an hour and a half so it's almost certain not going to be hunger this is going to be tired because I know you've been on the boob for an hour on the bottle you know so if it's not hunger it's almost certainly they're going to be overtired and I'm right in thinking that it's easier to get them to sleep if they're not overtired you almost sort of yeah. pass a point of which by which you're so tired that it's difficult to get I mean I experienced that myself if yeah. I you know if I've had jet lag for example and I think I'm just going to stay awake even though I'm exhausted mm. I finally go to bed and and then I can't go to sleep. And it that's is. presumably well, we because I'm overtired. We have the same sort of coping mechanism because when we get tired, we all know that jet laggy feeling. It's sort of sort of jangly, one too many Red Bulls kind of feeling. And babies have the same thing, but more frequently than we do. So they need to sleep. New babies do need to go to sleep roughly every 90 minutes or so. They, they take on board the food and then they have to go into a nice sort of quiet sleep to rest and digest. If they don't get to go to sleep by the 90 minute mark, roughly, the, the sort of coping mechanism is to flood with adrenaline. And if you've got an overcooked adrenaline filled baby, they are almost impossible to get to sleep. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, to, I've just come from teaching a, a breastfeeding class with the with the bump class today. Uh, feeding plays a big role in, in sleep, doesn't it? I mean, they're not likely to sleep as well if they aren't full. No. Baby with a full tummy, you're on a pretty much a winning streak. Um, but if they've been faffing around and not really drinking terribly well, maybe half an hour after the feed's finished, they realize that they could have actually had that pudding course, you yes. know, and then they won't go to sleep. They might be tired, but they won't go to sleep until they're topped up. So just making sure they're nice and awake and sort of waking them up if they've sort of 
dozed off during a feed. Yes, yes, I torment them a little bit. You know, I tickle their tickle their toes and I open up baby grows or wipe their face with a little flannel just to keep them feeding because they can be lazy little toads. You know, mm-hmm. if they've taken on starter and a main course, they tend to drift off thinking, that was nice, I'll pop back in half an well, hour. Well, it's also a really more. nice, cosy place to go to sleep. Yeah. You know, whether you're being breastfed or bottle fed, you know, yeah. you're snuggled up to your mother, the most familiar smell in the world and you're nice and warm and you feel the heartbeat and you're sucking, which in itself makes you want to go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's not surprising so it's that they drowsy. often drift off before they're actually ready to actually go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and changing nappies and burping them properly is obviously all important. I mean, I've heard uh, bump class girls say to me that they've been told that breastfed babies don't need to be burped, which is complete rubbish. It they is, they yeah. do need to be yes, burped. Yes. However your baby's being fed, they need to be burped, don't yes. they? You might not always get one up. That's the problem. You know, I've got mums who've been sitting there saying, oh, I've been trying to burp him for an hour and I can't get anything up. But the bottom line is, if there isn't a bubble in there, it doesn't matter how much you bash them on the back, you're not going to get anything out. So if they are in distress, if they look as though they're uncomfy, you've got two bubbles. You've got one that's headed north, which you can help with, or one that's headed south, which apart from a little bit of tummy rubbing and bicycling of the legs, you can't really help with. They've got to get it out on their own. Yeah, so, and that's also quite a good way of sort of waking them up during a feed, making sure that they're awake and then, you know, giving them another opportunity to feed again. Yeah, yeah. How important is sleep environment? I mean, you often see babies in the Moses basket asleep in the kitchen and they seem perfectly happy. At what point do they need to be sleeping somewhere a bit more quiet, a bit more restful, a bit darker maybe? Um, Again, I think... I'm I'm quite gentle with my mums in the early days because, you know, if you give birth to a baby, you don't then just want to put them up in their own room and then you sit there twiddling your thumbs thinking, well, I've given birth and I can't even see my baby. So usually for the first couple of weeks, babies don't really mind where they go to sleep. The first two weeks, they tend to be quite gentle. Um, but going forward... I feel that if you're tiptoeing around the house and you can't have the doorbell ring or pick up the phone because oh, the baby's asleep, um, you can't just get on with life. So after a couple of weeks, move them into their own room for their daytime naps, unless you want to go out you know, for walking with the buggy or something. But I think in the early days, downstairs so that you can gaze at your baby. And then after that, give them their own space because often clacking around in the kitchen will wake them up. So it's nice for them to have their own little area. But I'm also amazed that, you know, mine are now seven and eight but they sleep through everything it's mm. unbelievable sometimes you know I'm cooking here in the kitchen and the smoke alarm goes off in the whole house and they still sleep through actually it's a bit worrying because I think what if there was a fire <laughs> and then no one knows um but it is it is amazing actually how how babies actually will sleep through very loud noises and then the tiny creak of a door I know wake them up I was just thinking, bright eyes. yes you know I've had babies that I've wheeled past roadworks and they don't bat an eyelid and as you say you come through the front door and the click of the door shutting behind you wakes them up they're a conundrum that going to sleep is often the sort of hardest part and I think parents are very tempted to sort of do what they can to get them to sleep and you mentioned Mm. at the beginning of the podcast you know rocking them to sleep or pushing them around in the buggy or letting them only sleep in a sort of papoose or a sling on your chest Mm. but actually that skill of you know going to sleep as a, as a human being is a really important skill to learn and one that babies can learn am i right in yes that? yes i think there's a um it's a contentious issue because i think a lot of people get confused with help you know helping a baby learn to go to sleep doesn't have to involve a lot of crying but babies will often fuss 
when they're getting to the point they're getting overtired. And it's just their way of expressing, you know, I'm, I'm ready to be let go now. I'm ready to be put down now. And they will have a little bit of a fluff around before they drift off to sleep. You know, when we lie down to go to sleep, we don't just like a doll, shut our eyes and go to sleep. I lie in bed and I think about today's baby, tomorrow's baby, what I'm going to cook for supper. Um, and then eventually start having little, I call them dreamlets, you know, little silly thoughts, dreams. And eventually I drift off to sleep, but I fluff around like an old dog before I doze off. Babies are very similar, but they just do it a bit louder. So I always leave them just to have a little bit of, I call it having a bit of a grump before they let themselves go off to sleep. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Mm. And, and again, it's, it's a really important skill to have. I mean, you can't have a four-year-old that will only go to sleep when the mother is singing a specific mm. song and there because it, it just means that you're not really equipping them with one of life's most important skills. Mm. No, it's all seen those programs on telly, haven't we? When you've got you know, parents sitting beside the cot until they're six because yeah. they, won't, they don't know how to go to sleep. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love those baby carriers. I, when we talk on the bump class about sort of kit to get, I always sort of encourage people to get some kind of baby carrier. But I always say, make sure you use it for out and about and don't get into the habit of wheeling your baby around, constantly carrying your baby in a sling on you. Mm. Because more than anything, it's just really bad for your back. Mm. Yeah, and it's not great for the baby's back, I shouldn't think, to be upright all the time. They do need to sleep flat on a mattress they can get warm and they just, they, it's not a deep, deep sleep a lot of the time. But yes, terribly bad for your back. But understandably, babies love that position. You mm. know, it feels quite similar to being in the uterus. You know, mm. they, they feel the mother's warmth. They have that constant movement. But at some point, they have to get used to, to you know, sleeping. Settling in, in, in their own bed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I mean, I think people think of the idea of sort of sleep training and, and routines as sort of just letting your baby cry. That's not what you advocate. Is no, it? no. I mean, I will allow them a little bit of time to have, as I say, have a bit of a grump. But I wouldn't ever, you know, certainly not with a baby under six months old, ever, ever leave them more than a few minutes before you go in. And it's a method that I call repeated reassurance. Partly to reassure the parents, partly to reassure the baby. So you step away, let the baby have a little fluff around, a little bit of a grump. And then if they need you, they won't stop crying. If they want you and you go in and you pick them up and they sort of do that sort of theatrical <laughs> on your shoulder and then go straight to sleep. So the bottom line is, if you can sleep on me, you're ready to sleep in your bed. So they can, <laughs> they can be little tinkers. So I don't leave them for more than a few minutes, no. Baby monitors, obviously really important to have if your baby's mm. going to be, um, even if you can hear them in a room, it's quite good to have a baby monitor because yeah. you just do want to be able to hear your your child. And when my babies were little, video monitors didn't really exist. And so I slightly poo-pooed them. But actually, I was talking to a girl the other day who said it's actually really good having the baby monitor because I can take a look and see whether my baby's crying just because she's a bit cranky and she just needs that little cry before she goes to sleep mm. or whether she's got her arm stuck in the cot or she's dropped her toy or she's really furious yeah are you one that you do you believe that do I do I like you I'm a bit of a dinosaur when I started doing this job we didn't have monitors Did you just call me a dinosaur <laughs> <laughs> as in technology I'm a bit of a dinosaur I feel like a, a dinosaur very lovely dinosaur <laughs> um, but no I am um, I've lost my thread completely now. Um, yes, no, monitors. Uh, yeah, when they when they crept in, I've actually I'm I'm less in favour of the audio ones. 
because it, it, you get obsessed with it. And if you are just listening to your digitized version of your baby crying, it's much more stressful than just sitting outside the door and having a listen. So I will always encourage mums, if they can hear the baby fussing, say, go and peep around the corner and just have a little look and see what's going on. Because if you watch what's happening, you're much more likely to understand. But I actually love the, 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 the visual monitors. Like you say, you can just see what's going on. You can see whether it's a whinge or a want. Yeah. Mm. And I think the key is just not to get too obsessed with them because mm. I definitely seen it with parents where they, they finally, you know, the baby goes to sleep and it's seven in the evening and they're really in need of a bit of time out from the baby, but they're just glued to the video yeah. monitor. Yeah. So unless they're, you know, they're making a noise, just leave them be. Leave them be. Yeah. Um, I think, as we mentioned before, one of the reasons that being a new parent is so difficult is that you don't know what's wrong with your baby you don't know when they cry what they're crying for is the crying just because they're crying or is it because they're hungry or cold or sick or ill or whatever it is mm. and, and and I think every mother thinks has looked at her baby and thought what is it what's wrong please just tell me yeah. um one of the things you talk about is needing to understand how babies work, which yeah. I think is a really nice way to put it, um, and what they can and can't handle. Yeah. Um, what, what, give me some examples of that. Um, I think particularly in London, I've noticed that there are so many uh, things out there on offer to sort of entertain your baby. So I've known mums when the babies are two weeks old, enrolling them in baby Zumba classes or baby yoga classes or swimming and all these things that are supposed to sort of enhance your, your baby's experience of the world. But when they're that little, they really are, it's a bit like puppies. All they need is sort of feed, lots of love, lots of, you know, encouragement and support and understanding and patience, lots of patience. But um, they really don't need to have, you know, the pink donkey waved in their face every five seconds. You don't need to over-egg the pudding. When they're tiny, they're almost in a survival mode. They eat and then they have to go back to sleep to process that and put on those lovely chubby cheeks. Um, so overstimulating them, overloading them with stuff is just too much. So I try and teach mums that really for the first six weeks, they're pretty much little eating, sleeping machines and a bit of poo. Mm. Mm. But you're right. I mean, they, they can't even see that far. No. Um, but, what you know, the fact that they've only just opened their eyes and been able to see and mm. hear. I mean, if you think about, you know, the fact that but your baby's only known life inside the womb mm. and then it's born and your baby never anticipated birth. They thought the uterus was its home for the rest of its life. Yeah. And, and then they're born and then suddenly they open their eyes and they can see and they can hear and they can smell. And then they need to work out how to suck and swallow and feed properly. Mm. I mean, life just up until that stage is incredibly difficult before you have the all singing, all dancing mobile that's, you know, whirring above their cot. And that's almost like, you know, your first cinema experience in being the 4D IMAX. Yes. You know, just thinking <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> I explain it to my clients by saying, um, from the baby's perspective, imagine that you, you've, you've never been to the Maldives, you know, and the boat arrives in the Maldives and you get off the boat and there's, you know, coral reef and blue sea and beautiful palm trees and colored birds. And it's all really, really beautiful. That's enough. What you don't need is little mix at the end of the jetty having a concert. <laughs> so when your baby is a week and a half old, you don't need to put them on the, 
you know, the activity map with the iPhone dock that with the flashing lights and things, because it's just too much for the baby. They, as they go through their various stages and their growth spurts, you will actually start to see when they are ready to start interacting a little bit more. But yeah, just don't, don't go into overdrive with it. Yeah, just understand yeah. that it's sort of... And I suppose too, you know, for mothers, having given birth, it's called labour for a reason. You know, it's mm. not called a walk in the park. It's mm. labour and afterwards you need to spend some time relaxing. So actually mm. spend those six weeks getting to know your baby, trying to get a hold on feeding whichever way you're doing it and yeah. changing nappies and, and even dressing them is so hard. It takes forever, you know, when they're little spindly legs and arms. They're, yes, it's so like fragile. trying to dress an octopus. Yes, and they cry. They cry a lot. They cry when they're being dressed. They try, cry when they're being undressed. They cry when they're you know, being burped. They cry when they're having their nappy changed. And that does just gently, gently wind down. And it's just their ba- the baby's way of sort of saying, don't really understand what's happening to me. And it's all a bit, you know, sensory overload. Yeah. And then little by little, they calm down. And which but, it can feel for the mother as well. You know, when you try and do too much too quickly, mm. along with all those hormones and the fact that your body is recovering from producing another life, yeah. um, um, it and actually probably the most important thing for the baby after being fed or just as much as being fed is that the mum's happy because mm. they're quite attuned to environment and atmosphere aren't they yes they're very you know, intuitive little beings you know if there's a mother and father at each other's throats the baby's often crying yeah and not because there's anything wrong but just because they kind of get that something's not right mm. which it's why is why it's worth sort of investing time as a as a parent in your well-being and your emotional well-being yeah Yes, because it's very easy for, for a little resentment to creep in. As happy as you are with your new bundle, if you don't get out of your pyjamas until four o'clock in the afternoon or get to have a shower more than once every three days in peace, you can end up thinking, oh, what have I done? You know, mm. where is my life? Mm. So you do need to have and a it little is, structure. It's overwhelming for any woman. Mm. You know, even the ones who on Instagram present their sort of beautiful, you know, brand new, perfectly clad little babies and their sort of, fresh faces you know there are definitely moments every mother feels like they are slowly going a bit mad oh yeah and that that thought of did I really want this was this really great decision sort of does creep into the minds of pretty much every woman at some stage yeah yes I think anybody who who sails through it or pretends they sail through it might be telling the odd fib Mm -hmm. yeah There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
you mentioned crying and that babies they have a cry kind of whenever and that's I think something that parents are unprepared for and we associate crying the way we cry we cry when something's wrong generally unless Mm. we're really really happy or find something hilarious generally crying is associated with negative feelings upset Mm. or hunger or hurt and we sort of we sort of assume that's the same for a baby but it's not is it no is is really the only way your baby has to sort of verbalize what they're feeling yeah yes and some I call it having fizzy days um that there are days that even I don't know what's wrong with them you know I come in and see a baby one day and they're happy as Larry and the next day they're having a fizzy day you know the hair's parted on the wrong side or it's a Thursday and whatever I try doesn't work and we don't You know, we can't always pinpoint it because sometimes it's not as simple as I'm cold or I'm hungry or I'm tired. It's just something developmentally going on in that little head. So it's not just all about the baby getting fatter and bigger. There's all kinds of stuff going on in that little brain. And it may be that yesterday he couldn't really see the window on the other side of the room. And today, suddenly he can. And it's quite unnerving. And you often find at that stage... What's that window suddenly doing there? Yeah, they're quite clingy. Again, I always have my little stories, but... I say it's a bit like um, if you imagine being being born with the worst pair of glasses ever and then suddenly somebody gives you the right prescription, you know, and you suddenly can see things. You can see your mum's face. You can see your dad across the room. And it's just, a li- again, it's back to that little bit of overwhelm and they get a little bit clingy. And all you need to do is just give them a bit of reassurance and it doesn't matter if you break all the Hattie rules for a day. Pick them up and give them a cuddle until they get used to their new glasses. And then the next day you'll probably find they'll be perfectly happy. Yeah. Yeah. And that also, you know, the fact, the idea that as soon as your baby cries, you need to do something, you Mm. need to pick them up. I mean, that someone talked to me once about having a little pause when your baby cries, don't immediately run to your baby, but have a little bit of a pause depending on how old they are. So if there's a really young baby, maybe it's just three deep breaths and then you go to them you know if they're three months old maybe you just finish unloading the dishwasher before you go to them absolutely and I found that you know when I my two were very close together and there were times you know when Iona was a little baby I couldn't go 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 to her immediately because I was wiping Ludo's bottom or whatever it was Mm. and I just needed to let her cry for three four minutes and often by the time I could go to her she'd stop crying she's Mm. gone to sleep or she'd sort of sorted herself out and that was a really important lesson for me you know to make me realize that I didn't need to leap every time my baby cried but I could take a little bit of time yes have a pause and have a listen again Mm. I will lead mums to the bottom of the stairs and say just have a little listen to that before you go thundering in is that a need mummy something's happening you know I've done a big poo or I need a bit more food or I'm in pain or something or is it just having a little grump before I go to sleep and if I do exactly what you do listen to it wait a minute or two and then if she continues to cry you go in and help yeah I mean I heard someone say that the idea that crying before going to sleep was potentially a way of expelling that last bit of energy before they go to sleep it's not necessarily a call for help it might even be a way of kind of creating a bit of white noise yes but to help them go to sleep yes I've heard some people call it the baby mantra I have been um, a a dad of mine even on my I think on my website put a, a testimonial and said she does a very good impression of a baby crying and it is a very repetitive noise when they do that sort of oh wah oh wah oh wah and that to me is a noise of a very 
overtired baby, overstimulated baby. And it is their way, as you say, of white noising out everything that's going on around them. The equivalent to an adult of sort of putting your fingers in your ears and shutting your eyes. And it just helps. Or turning them. on the white noise app. Or turning on the white noise app, yes. <laughs> and just to sort of whacking their self, just get a little bit of, um, you know, just get it out of their system before they go to sleep. Sometimes, as I say, there is that big, you know, last minute shout and then bang, off they go. So it's not crying themselves to sleep. Again, it's just going back to having that little bit of letting off a bit of steam before I conk out. Because the problem is if you then interpret that as a cry for help and you go rushing in, it's the most, I mean, you know, for, for babies, their parents coming to them is like Broadway. It's such fun. It's so great. Yeah. That's what they want. And that, that totally stimulates them. So they might have been on the cusp of sleep and then suddenly, you know, little mix arrive yeah. and <laughs> they just want to kind of party again. Yeah. So you're sort of almost overstimulating them when that's not what they want and that's not what you want. No. No, as I say, that tips the baby into then being overtired. You go to baby's now being awake for an hour and three quarters or two hours, still hasn't gone to sleep. The problem from that is you won't get them to sleep. And then the next feed time is going to be rubbish. And he won't feed very well because he's overtired. And then your whole day starts to unravel. Yeah. Hmm. In the 21st century, with access to the internet, um, it's difficult because we all want a solution, don't we? Yes. You know, we have a problem, you go and get it fixed. You know, you go to the osteopath, you go to the dentist, you are so used to, you know, bugging your computer, you know, someone comes in manu- uh, remotely and fixes it. Mm. It doesn't exist with a baby, does it? No. Children, no. full stop. Or I suppose life, full stop. Doesn't exist with grown ups either. No, no, no. And again, you know, back to the dinosaur, not that I'm calling you a dinosaur, <laughs> but um, since I've been doing this job 23 years, we, when I started off, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have WhatsApp groups. I didn't even, you know, we didn't even have mobile phones. And you would think that access to all this information would make life for mums more relaxing, more informed, but there's an awful lot of what I call noise out there about babies on the internet. An awful lot of it is opinion-based. There are also some brutally unkind forums, you know, which mums get involved in. And my advice would always be, you know, by all means, have a look at them, but please don't take them too seriously. Get information from a well-informed professional rather than going online, because I would no more seek an answer for my baby's problem you know going on the internet than I would perhaps stand in Waterloo station with a sign saying you know my baby's got a rash what do I do and taking the advice of the first 15 people that walked up to me that's what that's what the internet feels like to me as far as babies are concerned so no get advice constant continuity of advice from somebody that you trust you know a a good GP or your pediatrician someone like that rather than googling stuff that's a great it's a great analogy I think, you know, the other thing is there's a lot of products that claim to be the sort of miracle sleep thing. I mean, there's a lot of baby products with the word miracle in their name, but there is no such thing. I mean, I think if anything, it just diverts resources in potentially the wrong area because suddenly before you know it, you spent 500 pounds on a bunch of products that you don't really need no well as a new mum you know you're a marketing man's dream you're going to buy you know everything that makes you a better parent or a more caring parent and once you've got that baby and you've hit your first two weeks of sleep deprivation again you know you'll pay through the nose for anything that promises that your baby's going to go to sleep so you'll have 15 different types of bottles you'll have you know bottle warmers you'll have blanket warmers you'll have special swaddles that promise all sorts of things so no it's just focus if you can on on getting the the 
basics in building your baby if you like you know like you build a house you start on the start on the foundations and then you work week by week on building the habits without spending a fortune as you yeah, say because also then the disappointment that the miracle whatever it is doesn't work yeah it's yeah. kind of another thing to deal with yes. and you're you know 50 pounds the poorer yep and another thing for the charity shop a week later yeah um i mean one thing i personally found was helpful was um a sort of signal when it came to sleep time so I uh, I had a baby monitor in the room that had a little sort of music thing on it and I just you know pressed that music and it lasted for five minutes and that I felt became a sort of signal to my children that it was time to go to sleep but the good thing was it didn't require me being there anyone could press that button Mm. Um, and it just you know before I could communicate with the children it was something that they associated with bedtime do you, I mean, obviously that's still a little bit of a crutch, but it's a very easy crutch to, for anyone to be able to replicate. You know, we could have that little music when it, wherever I traveled, I had that baby monitor, whoever was looking after my child, whether it was my husband or my mother could press that button and replicate that, yeah. that environment. I mean, do you agree with that? Just trying to keep it as simple as possible, but not what you don't want to do is fall into the trap where it's the mother singing her special song and it's her rocking the baby. So you know, the joy was actually that even if the babies woke up in the night, I could remotely switch this music on from my bed and often it would just be what they needed to go back to sleep, remind them that it wasn't time yet to wake up. Yes, well, it is, you know, it's the typical sort of Pavlov's dog syndrome, isn't it? That it's a sleep association. So with the, the very tiny babies that I work with, the sleep association basically is the swaddle, the process of swaddling. And I find that usually after a couple of weeks of working with the baby, just the swaddling is enough to make them calm and start to go to sleep before I've even put them down. So I think once they come out of the swaddle, you know, walking around the bedroom with them all snuggled up in your arms to say goodnight to a couple of teddy bears or, you know, look out the window as you draw the curtains and say goodbye to the sun, that sort of thing, yes, because that's infinitely portable. So we've talked about things to do. Um, Any things that we should avoid doing? (laughs) Oh, my Lord. Well, as I say, um, for me, it's the falling asleep on a parent. Um, And that's from a safety point of view um, or or just from a habit point of view? From a habit point of view. Well, a bit of both, really. I mean, if if you're feeding your baby in your bed in the middle of the night, breastfeeding a baby in the bed, you do have to be careful because when you are tired... You're absolutely exhausted in the middle of the night. Your husband might be, you know, up in the in the loft room fast asleep. There's no one there to keep an eye on you. It's very easy just to nod off with the baby in the bed. So I would always advocate, as as wretched as it might be in the middle of November, but to get up, put a dressing gown on, and go and sit in a chair somewhere safe where you've got the baby safe in your lap. So try and avoid having them in the bed with you. But otherwise, just. Um getting your baby to fall asleep in their cot in their Moses basket as opposed to on you and then you sort of gingerly you know lift your baby and put them back yeah in the cot. because the problem is if you teach them to go to sleep on you you can you can then decant them into the Moses basket but when that baby wakes again because they babies do tend to stir every 45 minutes they come into a lighter phase of sleep and then they have to learn to join those sleeps together so if the trick that you have implemented if you like is to fall asleep on mummy or mummy's arms and you then put them into their bed. When they come into that light sleep 45 minutes later, you're fast asleep. The baby will not know how to go to sleep in its own bed because that's not the trick you used in the first place. So you then have to get up, 
and put the baby back to sleep in your arms and put them down again. And so it just becomes this overnight ping pong game of up and down and up and down every 45 minutes. It's potentially also a little bit disconcerting for a baby to um, go to sleep somewhere in someone's arm and then wake up somewhere totally different. Totally, yeah. Um, so potentially it's kind of kinder for your baby to sort of teach them to go to sleep and then they wake up where they went to sleep. Yes, which is, is it's a familiar is, place. Yeah. Um, we talked initially actually about instinct and about trusting your judgment because it's difficult you know new first time parents you know they haven't really had any training they might have done an antenatal class um we might have had an uh, they might have done an antenatal class my dog has just joined our podcast so if you hear some panting some heavy breathing don't worry it's not me or Hattie (laughs) um but yes we 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 become new parents and um we we haven't there's no manual like you said you know we don't know how our babies work and um we sort of every decision we make are they tired have i fed them enough are they sick are are they too hot are they too cold have they fed too little Mm -hmm. is my breast milk right is it too thick is it not thick enough and every thing we ask everything we do we question Mm -hmm. and just because we're questioning that doesn't mean that it's wrong it just means that we're a bit on edge so I always say to girls on the bump class, just trust your instinct. You know, this is the main reason we have instinct. And actually doctors are taught to trust a mother's instinct because it, we know it is so powerful. Yes. So just try and believe in yourself and try and have faith in the fact that what you're deciding to do is probably right, more than probably right. Yes. And if it works for you, more importantly, if it works for you, do it. You know, so if if you... If you do feel that your baby is having a fizzy day and does need a little bit of reassurance, even if you've got people around you sucking their teeth and say, you shouldn't be doing that, just crack on and do it. You know, you will get to know your baby. It's not an instant thing. It does take time to get to know each other. And you will find that after a week or so that you will start to, as you say, just feel that little flutter in your heart that says, I think you're still hungry. Or I think I can see that you're getting overtired. And it's a, it's a triumph when you feel that. It is. A, it's a powerful thing, as you say. Yeah, and just observing them. You know, I know, mm. I know it sounds like a really pathetic thing to do, but sort of start notice how they move their arms or their eyes or their legs when they're tired or when they're hungry mm. or when they've got a poo. And that will, you know... I remember people saying to me, oh, you'll just understand your baby's cries. Like I was suddenly going to be given, you know, the knowledge of this whole new language that I didn't speak. But that's not the case. You don't give birth and then suddenly you understand babies it's more that the more time you spend with them and the more you observe them and the more time you take just to be with them not be distracted not be pushing the pram around and meeting friends and having coffees but just be just you and your baby Mm. the more likely it is that you'll just understand yeah I remember having that light bulb moment because I used to work as a maternity nurse a traditional live-in 24 hours a day six days a week Um, and I remember quite vividly actually working with a little girl and I suddenly had that light bulb moment of thinking oh my goodness you're all the same you all display in the same way when you're tired you all do that shadow boxing thing with your hands you start bicycling with your little legs you scrunch up your face when you're getting tired and grumpy and the escalation of it is always at a roughly the same time it's about an hour and a half after you've woken up and that's what sort of helped me um I mean, I wouldn't write a book about it, but it has helped me understand that babies do arrive with a little rhythm. It's us that muck it up. 
because we'd start reading stuff and we should be more intuitive and as you say following your instinct yeah get to know your baby get and not getting too obsessed with a routine no no i mean listen some kind of basic routine is is probably helpful i mean you know i thrive on a routine in that i sleep at night and i eat breakfast and lunch and dinner and that kind of works for most of of the human yeah. population but the problem is some of these routines are it's 701 How you've missed the boat <laughs> The day, the day is going to go to pot now, which is just ridiculous, isn't it? It is, and it does set um, um, expectations that are way too high for an, for any new mum. That they 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 look at a book or they read an article and think, oh right, well that's what my baby should be doing. I hate the word should in all these books. Um, it's what your baby may be doing if you're lucky, but you do need to have flexibility. So when I get criticised for helping to ease babies into a routine, I do have to point out that you will have to have a routine for your baby by the time they're six months old because you're going to get them up, you're going to give them breakfast, you're going to go out and do an activity, you're going to bring them home, they're going to have lunch, they're going to go out somewhere in the afternoon, you're going to have a bedtime routine. That is the word, routine. It's not a schedule. It's not a bus timetable. It's a very gentle, flexible routine. And again, you just start building that from birth. And that's not, right, today we're doing the routine. I mean, these things take a while to, you know, that sort of gentle encouragement to sort of persuade babies to sleep longer at night and slightly less during the day and eat sort of big meals that are satisfying so that they can sleep well is is something that takes you know months doesn't it it is it, it does it takes a long time and and there is no point in entering into you know new motherhood thinking that you're going to put your baby on a you know a minute by minute timetable because you're it, again your expectations will be shattered and babies are a moving target for the first three months they change so quickly so as fast as you feel as though you're getting some control they're going to throw you a growth spurt curveball and your your whole day is going to go out of whack Um, in terms of sort of getting help, I mean, people obviously do it on their own, but if you can get help, whether it's a friend to just watch your baby for an hour while you have a sleep or a parent or a, you know, whoever it is, even if, you know, even if it's like you're a member of a gym and there's a crash in the gym and when your baby's a bit older, you can drop them there for an hour so you can read a paper. I do think that me time is really important for new parents. Hugely, hugely. And when I, you know, when I work with mums, I do really stress that, that you pour all your energy and all your love and, and, and you become that utterly selfless person. But it is important that you have time for yourself, as I said, to have a shower to shave both legs in one week, um, to, you know, to go for a walk on your own. So you, if you do hand over the care of your child, as you say, just for a couple of hours so that you can get out and do something, you know, it will help you get through those first few months and you, it doesn't make you a selfish person at all. Well, I think what people don't realize is that being a parent is a job and it's a hard job. And most jobs that we've, you know, been used to until the time that we have babies involve weekends, days off, the end of the working day mm. none of that exists when you're a parent it's 24 7 it's 24 hours of the day within the in the early days yeah. and you don't you, get paid for it you don't get paid for it 
<laughs> you kind of can never leave the office because actually even if you do are lucky enough to have some family who will look after your baby, you still have your phone on just in case, just in case there's a sort of crisis message. Yeah. And, and that's actually a really exhausting thing mentally. So it's not sort of that you're, you're being, you know, uh, indulgent, at maybe, you know, having someone, paying someone even to look after your baby for a couple of hours a week so that no. you can have a little bit of time to yourself to yeah. do. Because also life requires organization like getting the baby's passport and that kind of thing that you just need to do renewing your you know your ins- car insurance or all these boring things that you just sometimes just need to look at on your own and not yeah. with the distraction of a baby yes and I think as you as you say if you if you don't build that into your days a little bit that is often where the resentment creeps in a bit that you get a bit clenched and think oh when am I going to get a chance to write those thank you cards or you know can't I just go and have my hair done or something even a simple simple things like if you've got people coming to visit the baby um get them to come at about 11 o'clock in the morning this is my little secret tip 11 o'clock in the morning if they're good friends ask them to bring lunch with them <laughs> pick up something lovely from M&S or Whole Foods but don't stay for lunch drop the lunch off let them stay for an hour and at 12 o'clock you gently eat them out of the door and then you get to put your feet up and have lunch without having done any of the work perfect <laughs> perfect um I think what's difficult when you are a new mother, especially if your baby's having one of those fizzy days, is that you look at friends of yours, you look at other girls in your antenatal group, and you think, why is my baby the one that's always crying? You know, why have I got the the dud, not the dud baby, but, you know, the baby that's just a little bit more fractious. But it's not about that they're good babies or bad babies. They're, They're just adjusting, and it's presumably more about how well they adjust and how easy they find it to adjust rather than the fact that they're being naughty aged two weeks yeah no there's no such thing I don't think as a naughty baby it's a misunderstood baby it's a mum who's still getting to grips with getting to know her baby but I again I don't think it's coincidence that almost all my babies have been you know pretty pretty brilliant by the time I've left them but again there's the, the social media the Facebook thing the WhatsApp groups you're not very often going to get the picture that shows the mum falling apart at the seams at eight o'clock at night because the baby is still crying. You're going to get the pretty pictures of the sleeping baby in the lovely cashmere outfit. It, it, and it does paint a very artificial, um, yeah, sort of artificial picture of what the day is like. So more mums, I think, do need to be more honest about what their days are like and also to be brave enough to put their hands up and say, oh, you know what, this isn't like the Pampers adverts, you know, it's not all a picnic, it's not all soft focus and white broidery anglaise, it's, you know, I've been pooed on three times today and I haven't had any sleep and I've been eating crisps for lunch for a month, you know, it's, it's not all perfect. And that adjustment, I think, is a really good way to think about their first few weeks, really their first year in the the world, because life is about adjustment. You know, when your Mm. children goes to to nursery or the child goes to school or, you know, you change jobs or, you know, you even go on holiday to a really hot place, it takes a bit of time to adjust. But if you think about it, there's never a time where you have to adjust more than when you were a baby in the uterus. And then you're born. I mean, that is the biggest adjustment any of us will ever face in our lives. Yes. And so it kind of makes sense that we give them a bit of time and a bit of uh, sort of energy just to just do that huge, make that huge adjustment and not put too much pressure on them to be the, the baby that we oh, thought we'd have. The baby. No. And I, I had a client recently who... I find a lot of my clients, if they work in finance, they they want to put 
their days into little boxes and they have a plan, you know, like a business plan before the baby arrives of how their days are going to be. And I usually tear those kinds of plans up and just say, give it a few weeks and your baby will teach you patience on a level that you have never experienced. And when the baby is born, the mother is born. So all the expectations that you had about how your days or your weeks or your months were going to be, put them to one side because your baby is going to teach you a whole different side of you. And that's a journey that you have to make together. You're right. I think the patience is so key because mm. what you realize is that your baby will do what you want it to do in its own time. And you getting stressed and antsy is not going to make your baby burp or feed or go to sleep any faster. No, the and it thing- just makes those, those early really precious early weeks um a a miserable experience for everybody involved you know as you say those first six weeks you never get those again and if you've got you know baby number two comes along you're not going to have that same precious time with your second baby as you had with your first one so treasure that time and I know it's not predictable but that runs through your hands like sand it really does and it's gone in a heartbeat so the unpredictability, grab it and, you know, just enjoy it. Just enjoy it because the rest of their lives is going to be routine. Yeah. Well, Hattie, it's been so great to talk to you. You Thank too. Thank you so much That's for coming along. I think this has been a really helpful podcast. Hattie does offer support service in London. Um, uh, but if you're not in London, do still take a look at her website. It's hattieweeks.co.uk. Um, it's got lots of tips, ideas and generally sane advice like you've heard today on there. Uh, in what can seem a bit of an insane world, I think, when you're, when you're a new mum. Thank you for downloading The Parenthood. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have a moment, please take the time to rate and review us wherever you get this podcast. Do also have a look at our Instagram. We're at theparent.hood. You can see what we're recording next, but it's also a good place to let us know what you'd like to hear from us next. But in the meantime, from Hattie and me, thanks for listening and goodbye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.